Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Exodus. We're going to be continuing in our teaching series, and I'm going to dip a little bit back into chapter 5. We're going to go through chapter 6 and part of chapter 7 today, Uh, and I'm really looking forward to doing that. And I don't know about you, but um, I am totally loving this series that we're going through. And the, the, the main reason that I'm enjoying it, not just because it's the Word of God, which that should be my reason, but the reason I'm really enjoying this is because this is so uh, applicable to me. This is super timely to me right now in my life. So I want you to know something, that everything I'm preaching today, everything that I'm sharing today is something that I am seeking uh, to apply in my own life as I'm uh, continuing to seek to be a disciple of Jesus, as I'm seeking to follow God. And one of the things, that the overarching theme, arching theme of Exodus is there's this reminder that God continues to tell his people, and it's this, that God, God has an eternal and unthwartable plan. God has this unstoppable plan, and it is to glorify himself by bringing, listen to this, he's bringing sinful, broken, and rebellious people to himself. That is his plan of redemption, and it ends in Jesus Christ. So everything from the the beginning of Genesis all the way through the the entire Bible is moving to show us what God's eternal, unthwartable plan is, and that is Jesus Christ. So everything that's written in in Exodus is pointing to that perfect plan, And, and God had Moses write down these things for the people of Israel in order to remind them of this. Why? Because, as I've said for five years, we are a what? Forgetful people. See, most of you forgot that, but that's why I keep saying it. Every time I say that, you go, oh, yeah, I forgot that. Yeah. We are a forgetful people. It, we, we can hear something here in the, in this morning. It's like, mm, that was good, and walk out and forget it. It's, it's that we are such a forgetful people when it's things that we need to remember. Um, but there's this repetitive pattern that I'm seeing in the book of Exodus. I want to point it out to you again. And it's, it's like this. It's, it's, it starts like this. Life is good, right? Have you ever noticed that life is good? We got a slide for that. Life is good. Then life gets hard. And then God intervenes. Have you ever noticed that in your own life? Life is good for a short time. Then life gets hard. And then God intervenes. And it's kind of like life is good, we're on the mountaintop. Now that usually doesn't stay long, and all of a sudden we find ourselves going down into the valley where life gets hard. And before God intervenes, we get to the bottom of the valley usually, and there's this fork in the road. And at the fork, there's two signs, one that says Broadway and one that says Hardway. Broadway, hard way. The Broadway promises life, but in the fine print, it says leads to destruction. And the thing about the Broadway is that it's a, it's a, it's a way that's easy. It's, it's natural to us. 
It allows us to walk by sight. It tells you to trust your heart, trust your intuition, do what's easy. It, it's kind of like, uh, it fits like a glove. It's like you're born naturally wanting to go on the Broadway. So the Broadway teaches us that, that you can lie, you can steal, you can cheat, you can take advantage of others. You can look out for number one, do whatever you've got to do to get out of the valley in your own strength. And it promises to lead you back to the mountaintop, to life, but Jesus says that the Broadway leads to destruction. And then there's the other pathway, which is the hard way. It says in the fine print, leads to life. But it's harder because it requires that we walk by faith, that we trust God. Jesus says it's narrow. He says it's difficult. He says it's unnatural to us. It's the load, the road that is less traveled. Um, and it requires that we die to ourselves and trust God. But it does, in the end, lead to life, and in the end, it leads to God. And you know what I've noticed about this pathway? is that sometimes when I choose, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust God, I'm going to take the hard way, sometimes God rewards us immediately, like quickly. Have you ever been in that situation? Kind of like the midwives in chapter 1 of Exodus. They obey God, they don't put these children to death, and God immediately, it seems like, he blesses them with children. It's like, man, who wouldn't want to follow a God that when you obey him, he's going to bless you, and the children represent what they desired and, and what was good. But... More times than not, I've noticed that when I go on this pathway, it gets harder. Life gets harder. When I seek to trust, when I seek to trust God, when I seek to obey Him, it seems like the valley gets darker. It can get damper, and it can get more difficult. And you know that's where we left Moses last week with the people of Israel. And if you remember, God came to Moses. He said, "I'm going to." use you to, I'm going to raise you up to bring my people out of Egypt to a promised land. And so what does Moses do? He believes God. He goes to the people. He says, good news. God is going to save you. He's going to take you out of here. And immediately, immediately they believe. And they fall down and they worship God. They're like, yes, God is finally going to come to our rescue. So they are feeling good. They're on the mountaintop until Moses goes and obeys God. Until Moses does what God tells him to do, he goes to Pharaoh. He says, God, Yahweh, says to let my people go. And what does Pharaoh said, say? This is back in chapter 5 last week. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Now, he may not have known him personally, but God says everybody knows that he exists, that, that there's a witness. So, so Pharaoh's pretending Somewhere deep down inside, he's pretending like he, that there's no God. And that's the culture we live in today. Everyone's kind of pretending that there's no God. We know that there is one. But Pharaoh was saying, I don't know who this God is, so how can I, how can I uh, obey you or do what you say? Now, he says, I don't know who God is, but soon he is going to know who God is as we continue to progress through this book. And life gets harder when, when Moses obeys God in two ways. Number one, Pharaoh begins to turn up the screw of pain and suffering, and he causes the Israelites to have uh, such a horrible life, worse than it was. If, if they didn't think it could get any worse, he makes it worse. He takes away the straw and increases the labor 
and says, you got to keep doing what you're supposed to do. And he begins beating them for not doing what they're supposed to do. And this causes the people of Israel to turn to the wrong person, to the wrong enemy, and point at Moses. And they, they basically curse him. So if there was a TV show, it would be called Everybody Hates Moses. Moses is not loved by anybody. Everybody hates him except one person. And that's really the one that matters, and that is God. He has obeyed God. And then back in chapter 5, verse 22, we, we, we read this. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why? Have you ever said that? Have you ever said, Lord, why? What, what's going on here? Um, Lord, I am trying to obey you. I'm trying to follow you. And uh, either nothing's happening. Have you ever been there where you're, you're obeying God, but it just seems like nothing's happening? Or you feel forgotten? Or things just get horrible? That's what Moses is asking right here. Why? Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil in this, to this people, and you have, not, you have not delivered your people at all. Basically, he's saying, why is this happening? I obeyed you. I followed your plan. And you haven't done what you said you're going to do. And uh, he's, he also said, you know, and the people, uh, they hate me. Even though I did what you commanded me to do. And I want to stop here and just talk to anyone that's in a position of leadership. If you're ever in a place of, of leadership that God has put you, it might be a, a parent, a teacher, a coach, a boss, a manager. You're, you're leading a, a hike, a group, whatever God has put you in. Um, you need to be ready uh, and understand that there is going to be times as you are seeking to lead, as you are seeking to do what's best for the group, that you are misunderstood and that you are disliked. Now, if you're not disliked by who you're following, you may not be leading them to where they need to go. Because often we need to lead people, we need to lead our children, our, our families, our, uh, our um, organizations that we're leading. We need to lead them to places that oftentimes we don't wanna, they don't want to go to. It's kind of like parenting. Um, one of the things that uh, I heard long time, I think it was Vody Bauckham, I can't remember who told me this, or I heard. Uh, he, they said, uh, you know, your parent, your kids don't need a best friend. When, when they're like this. They don't need a best friend. They need a parent. And so what I've told my kids over the years, when we, you know, kind of have moments of disagreement, um, I say, you know what? Um, one day, we are going to be best friends. I promise you. But today, I'm your dad. And so it's one of those things. But, and, and sometimes my kids don't like that. Uh, and, and there's times that I've been under authority that I didn't like. But you know what leadership is like? It is like a car with passengers in it, okay? And those you are leading are sitting in the back seat, eating their Happy Meal, drinking their drink, watching the DVD on the back of the, the car seat, and every time the car hits a bump in the road and their drink spills on them or the movie skips, they're like, what's up with that? And they're like, to the, to the one that's leading, what's wrong with leadership? What are they doing wrong? You know, if I was leading, I would actually do it this way, this way. This, this is me talking, actually, when, I, when I've been under other leadership. If I, did, if, I, if I could be that, the parent, 
I would do it this way, this, and it would, everything would be just work out so perfect. That's the, what we think when we're in the back seat. But you know what, where, the, where the leader actually is? He's not in the driver's seat. The, the leader is the windshield. And the leader is, is catching all the bugs and all the rocks and all the wind and all the rain and everything that's coming against them and shielding, and often we're shielding those who are behind us, and they just don't get it. And this is, this is something that we've got to understand if you're going to truly lead, if we're, if we're going to lead in a godly way, that we will often, leaders, we will often be misunderstood, we will be disliked, and that just goes with its territory. That's what's happening to Moses. And uh, right now in this, our narrative, the timeline for Moses that God's going to deliver, the, deliver them from Egypt, that timeline is not moving fast enough. And here's what I want to ask a question. Why does the Lord rarely, if ever, follow my timeline? Why is that? Have you ever noticed that? It's, I don't know that. I mean, it's usually he surprises me, like, but it's, it's, it's usually not my timeline. Um, and here's, here's one reason. It's because God wants us to grow. God is interested in us growing in holiness. And there's three ways I want to point out here that God wants us to grow. Number one, he wants us to grow in patience. I know you've heard this before. Every time you say, Lord, grow me in patience, what happens? Things get horrible. The only way that you can grow in, in patience is to come into situations that require you to exercise patience. Pa patience is when you have emotional calm, when you're faced with those things that irritate you, uh, misfortune, and you, you um, are there without grumbling and complaining. That's patience. It has to be exercised. Secondly, he wants to grow us in perseverance. Perseverance, probably one of the most quoted verses I say from up here, and I say to myself on a regular basis, is, is in the book of James chapter 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. God allows trials to come into our lives, and he lets them sit there for a while in order to grow us in perseverance, to be able to bear, to be able to to be strengthened. If you lift weights, you know that you have to have that resistance against you in order to cause, to break the muscle down in order for the, to cause the muscle to grow eventually. Third reason that how God wants us to grow is that he wants us to grow in faith. This is important to understand. Right now, if you're, if you're at that fork in the road and things are difficult for you, you need to understand that you, if you take the road of faith, it could be a slow process for you, okay? But you need to understand that, that, that God wants your faith to grow. And here's one of, the, one of the areas that he wants it to grow in. He wants to make it crystal clear to you that you can't save yourself in that situation, he wants you to, sometimes he wants us to, to just wear out of, of trying to, to use our resources, our energies, our, our money, our talents, our relationships with people, our ideas. He wants them to fall flat and so that we finally come to the place and realize, man, I can't do this. I cannot do what God, you are calling me to do. That's what he, he wants us to grow in that type of faith that only God can make happen what needs to happen, what he's called us to do.
to do. And, you know, that's, again, that's where Moses is right now. And God has led him there. He led him from the mountaintop down into the valley, where, again, it's dark, damp, and difficult, and he sees that he's unable to save himself. Let's look at verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. This is where we pick up with, with what God is going to do. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see. He's saying, all right, Moses, you're in the place you need to be. You realize you can't save yourself now. Now you're going to see what I will do, what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out, and with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. Now look, again, the point here is God's glory. God's going to glorify himself. Moses is going to see that he can't do what needs to be done to free the people. And we're going to look at verses 2 through 8 in chapter 6. And I want, before we get there, I want to point out that 17 times God is going to use the first person singular pronoun, I. 17 times he's going to say, I, 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 all the way through those, those verses. And, in the, uh, and at the, let's look at verse 2. He says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. He is going to say that four times in verses 2 through 8. He's going to say, I am the Lord. Why does he need to say that? Is he stutter? Because we are what? We are, thank you, Todd. We are a forgetful people, right? Even when, <laughs> have you ever been talking to your kids and, and you're talking and they're like forgetting exactly what you're saying right when you're saying it? Well, that's what's happening here. Moses says, I am I'm sorry, the Lord says, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. He's going to say it four times in seven verses. And it's kind of like a, a parent that, you know, you're talking to your child. They're scared something bad happened. They think they're in trouble and they're really not or whatever the thing is. And you take them by the face, right? You take them by the face and you say, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. You, you're wanting to get their attention. Don't, don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at Pharaoh. Don't look at you. Look at me. That's what God is doing here. He's saying, I, he wants them to know, you know, I care about you. I really care about you. And I'm not, no, I'm not doing it the way you want me to do it, but I'm that windshield up there in the front. I know what I'm doing. I'm shielding you. I'm protecting you. And I am the guarantee. I am, I am, that's the I am that I am. I am the guarantee of what I have promised you. It's not going to happen any other way but through me. And you know it can't happen any other way but through me. That's what God, listen, is that not applicable to you right now? That is to me. I need to have to hear that, that God is going to do what is to his glory and my benefit, but he's going to be the one that does it as I trust him and as I obey. Let's look at verse 3. He says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. That's hundreds of years before uh, Moses steps onto the scene. I was, where were you at? I was there as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. There it is, the promise of Canaan, the promise of land, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard 
See that? I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. In other words, I'm aware of your suffering. And I have remembered my covenant. Now, I want to just, he says, I have remembered my covenant. It's not like he forgot it. Basically, what he's saying is, I still remember. I still remember what I promised. I've remembered my covenant. Verse 6 says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, here it is, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I I love verse 7, I will take you to be my people. Now that... That, um, uh, that verbiage there, take you to be my people, is it's uh, actually a, a dop- adoption language. If you look at the original Hebrew in there, it's like when, I don't know if you ever read the book of Esther, but there's a guy, her, uh, her parents die and their uncle, Mordecai, her uncle Mordecai, adopts her. This is that same type of of language. I'm going to bring you into my family, into my care. And Mordecai looks over Esther and protects her and cares for her. And I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord. There it is again, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. He keeps saying that I am the Lord and I am the only one who can bring about the salvation that you need. Isn't that the gospel? That Jesus, doesn't Jesus say, I am the way? I am the only way that you can have your sins forgiven. I am the only way that you can be made right with God. This again is just pointing, but this passage is pointing to that, to that truth, helping the people see that only God can save. He's saying, I guarantee it. Now, I want to stop here and just ask another question. After reading that, what do you think God desires from us? That is a question that we need to stop and ask on a regular basis. What, what, is, what is it that God desires from us? And the reason that you need to stop and ask that is because we are a forgetful people. And there's, we have this kind of like autopilot thing that's in all of us that says work, make God love you, do your best, be the best, and you're not the best. You fail, you you don't meet up to God's standards. But what does God desire from us? Because he's that, he he doesn't need anything from us. He's he's like that guy that you um, are trying to buy something for Christmas, but they've got everything. Um, He's not lonely, he's not insecure, he's not disadvantaged. And some of us might think, well, God wants our money. You might be thinking that. He wants uh, our church attendance. He wants you to be a good little boy or girl, uh, follow all the rules. Or uh, he wants you to serve him until you're miserable. Now, that's one that, that you might be thinking. Um, and I would say that that's not what Scripture teaches at all. Um, he does want us to bear fruit. He wants us to, to, to take care of the weak and the downcast and to love one another and those things. But that's not what primarily he wants from us. You know what he wants from us? He wants what uh, every parent wants from their kids, every spouse wants from their uh, spouse, every friend, what you want from your best friend or someone that's, uh, that you're in a relationship. You know what you want, what he wants? 
You want their heart, don't you? God wants your heart. It's found again back in verse 7. He says, I will take you to be my people. All, it's, it's ama- this is, and this is very uh, amazing to me because I'm just like, when I think about this, that God, that's what God desires. I mean, he really desires to, 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 for us to be his people. It's amazing to me. That's what he was, uh, he, he was doing back in the garden. And what did man say? Nah, I don't want you. That's what man basically said and turned his own way. And what did God do? He began to unveil his eternal, unthwartable plan of salvation that points to Jesus. He promises at the very beginning, I'm going to send a Savior. And that's what he wants. He wants a people that is set apart for himself. And when Jesus came down to earth in Matthew 23, verse 37, when he came down from heaven, just like uh, God is sending Moses down into Egypt, when Jesus came down, listen to what he says. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Here's the heart of Jesus. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? You see what he's saying there? He says, I long to bring you into my household. I long to take care of you and and to provide for you and to love on you. But then he finishes, and here's why he doesn't. It's not because of him. He says, and you were not willing. You were not willing. So what God wants to to give us, he wants us to, to live from a soft, open, trusting heart that runs to him like children. Uh, trusting in him above our circumstances. And in this passage that I just read, verses 2 through 8, there are so many promises that are in there that are meant to unlock our hearts to trust in him. This is the passage this week you can, you can go to and study. These promises were meant for them, but they're also meant for, for us, that God sees us, that God hears us, that God knows us, that knows our situation, that God cares. And so what does Moses do? He goes to the Israelites with this message, and in verse 9 it says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. He tells them all that was in verses 2 through 8, but they did not listen. He tells them this good news, and they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. I think what they basically said was this. We've heard this before. We have heard this message before, and God hasn't done what you said he was going to do, so therefore we can't hear you because our lives are horrible. Now, let me ask you this. Could these people have been rejoicing and praising God in the midst of them being tortured and beaten by the, the Egyptians? I would say yes. Uh, Paul did it when he was in prison with Paul and Silas, right? He's beaten unjustly, thrown in prison. What does it say? He's in there singing. Why? Because he believed the promises of God. Um, now, I want to give a word of caution to us as a church because when, sometimes when we are the ones that, that aren't in the valley and we're seeking to encourage uh, those who are struggling in the valley, sometimes uh, we, we, we can actually make it worse for that person by trying to, to encourage them to try to swoop in there and just start quoting verses. God's got this. You know, it's going to be good. It's okay. It's, it's all right. It's kind of like when somebody hits their uh, thumb with the hammer uh, immediately, and they're like, oh, and it's like, it's okay. God's got a plan for you. You're, you know, 
you need to be able to hurt a little bit, don't you? Okay, I know, I, I know. So I want to just make, make it clear that there really is a time that we need uh, to be real with what's going on. There, there's a time in the valley, when we're in the valley, that we need to be able to mourn, uh, that we need to be able to truly hurt, that we need to be to acknowledge, you know what? This really is bad, what I'm dealing with right now. It really is bad. It's okay to say that. Uh, it's okay to acknowledge who your Pharaoh is. That's oppressive. It's okay to do that. It's, we don't want to just ignore what's going on because this is part of what God uh, wants us to see because as he saves and as he redeems, we remember what God has done for us. Um, but, it, but, you know, there's times that, that we need to be able to say, you know, I wish that I had this or that. Or, you know, I wish I didn't have this or that. We, we need to be able to really um, confess our hearts before God. Hopefully we can, we can confess it to one another in a uh, faith-filled way. But we don't want to stay there, okay? We don't want to wallow in it. That's what the Israelites are doing. They're taking the easy path. We want to do it in light of God's declaration of I am the Lord. We want to do it in light of the truth that he sees us, that he hears us. Do you realize that he cares about where you're at right now and that he wants to, to deliver us? Sometimes it's quickly, sometimes it's a delay. But here's what I'm, I've learned, and we're going to see this in the life of Moses Right? He's going to grow as he, as he continues to trust God and obey. We're going to see him at the end. Um, he's, uh, it says that Moses was the most humble man on all, in all the earth. Now, he wrote that, but it's still true. <laughs> I know, right? That's how humble he was. That he <laughs> but as we cling to the promises of God and preach them to ourselves, God, you know, this is hard, this is difficult, Pharaoh is beating me, but you have said, but you have said that you see me. You, you have said that you hear me. You have said that you are going to deliver me. I don't know how it may not be in this life, but you are going to deliver me. As we do that, guess what happens? Our hearts soften, they they grow, and we see, we begin to see God for who he is. Our view of him enlarges. Not that God enlarges, but we begin to see him clearly. The converse is true, too. As we refuse to fight by faith, our hearts will shrink, they will harden, and we will begin to have a distorted view of who God is. And we will actually call him, our Savior, the enemy. The one who is there to save us, we will see as our enemy. Now, in verses 10 through 13, God tells Moses to go back to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Pharaoh basically, uh, Moses basically says, God, look, the Israelites are not, gonna, are not listening to me. How in the world is Pharaoh going to listen to me? He argues with God. Then in verses 14 through 25, there is a genealogy that is meant to identify and to authenticate who Moses and Aaron descended from. This was very important uh, in ancient times to know who you descended from. Then chapter 6 ends with Moses continuing to argue with God. Verse 30, it says, But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised, 
uncircumcised lips, how will Pharaoh listen to me? God's like, he's not going to listen to you. Look at verse 30. Um, I'm sorry. Look at verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have put you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. There's a picture here that's going on where the kingdom of God is coming in to it's coming into the kingdom of darkness, and it is about to crush it. And, and Moses is a picture of God speaking through Aaron. That's the prophet. Pharaoh would have probably picked up on that. In verse 2, it says, You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land, out of his land. Now look at verse 3. But... I will harden Pharaoh's heart. We're going to come back to that, but just keep remember that verse. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my, uh, my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by, look at this, great acts of, it doesn't say mercy, it doesn't say kindness, doesn't say it out of grace. He says out of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Now, Pharaoh said, I don't know who the Lord is. The Lord says, they will know when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Now, as I've said at the beginning of this uh, message, that God has an eternal, unthwartable plan of redemption, and we need to understand something. We are either going to be on the side of salvation of that plan or on the side of judgment. That's our decision, how we, how we respond to God's offer of salvation. And you're either going to be a vessel of mercy, God's vessel of mercy, a picture of his mercy, or you're going to be a vessel that is a picture of God's wrath of God's judgment. Again, it all depends on how we respond to his offer of salvation. And let's go back up to verse 3 where it says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Now, that, that's something that uh, a lot of people struggle with. Um, is, you know, is God causing Pharaoh to sin? Some people will look at this passage and go, poor Pharaoh. He, he didn't have a choice. God just hardened his heart and there was just nothing he could do. And um, I want to uh, make a couple things clear. Number one is that there is this tension in Scripture that we a lot of us uh, like to talk about, or some don't like to, but there's this tension that's going on in Scripture often between what, what uh, theologians would call uh, man's free will or uh, man's um, responsibility and God's sovereignty, and that somehow they work together to bring about God's plan. And we know that, that God is not causing Pharaoh to sin. We need to, we need to uh, hold to that because in James uh, chapter 1, verse 13, it says that God cannot be tempted by sin, nor does he tempt anyone. So on one hand, we know that Pharaoh is choosing to sin. And Pharaoh, we, we need to understand, we need to remember what really happened here. 
Pharaoh is not this innocent, godly man who God said, huh, I'm just going to harden your heart. You, you want me, but I'm going to harden your heart uh, against your will and use you to do to, to my purposes. No, no, remember what Pharaoh was like and all the Pharaohs before him? They're cruel. Um, they're murdering God's people. They're unjustly oppressing them. They're, they're enslaving them. When, Pharaoh, when God says, Pharaoh, let my people go, what does Pharaoh do? I'm not letting them go. And then he does something even worse and oppresses them more. And on several occasions, we're going to see through the book of Exodus that Pharaoh hardens his own heart. And so I think what's happening, in part what's happening here, is that God is simply giving Pharaoh over to what he already wanted to do. And that is oppose him. And this is, listen, this is probably one of the scariest verses in the Bible, that God hardens your heart. And I, want, I hope that we're all listening to this that we're all taking heed to this. Um, In Romans 1, Paul says that if someone resists God and continues to resist God and keeps saying, no, I don't want God, and keeps pushing pushing him off at some point, and I don't know where this point is, and it's not for me to try to determine this, but at some point, God will give them over to what they want. God's not going to force anyone against their will to love him. You can't, do, you can't force someone to love you. He's not going to, to do that uh, to anyone. And it, but, the, but at some point, God says, okay, enough. You're not going to respond to me. And that's why Hebrews says, take care, brothers and sisters. Be careful that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but that we need to encourage one another day after day, as long as it's called today, that we would push one another, encourage one another to believe in who God really is. And so it just appears that God is just using a man who is bent on resisting him. No matter what God does, Pharaoh is not going to respond. But there is some good news in this, in verse 6. It says, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Isn't that good news? They obey God. It says in verse 7, Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So that's good news, isn't it? There's nobody in this room that's 80 years old yet. And he's just getting his ministry going. So God can use us in any stage of life. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle. See, Pharaoh's going to say, prove to me that you're from God. Then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. They do what God commanded, even if it didn't make sense. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. So there, you know, that that would tempt, probably tempt Aaron and Moses to go, oh man, we obeyed and now and did something cool, and they did the same thing. But, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staff. Imagine, uh, have you ever seen a snake uh, gulping down something? That's what this word 
means, swallowed up. And you know what? This is a foreshadowing because um, the word, this word, this Hebrew word swallowed up is balah, and it's only found in one other place in the book of Exodus, and it's at the end of once they've come across the Red Sea, it says that the sea swallowed them up. This is a foreshadowing of how God is going to swallow up his enemies. Verse 13 says, Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. That's where we're going to stop this morning in this passage. Um, Next week, by God's grace, we're going to pick up and we're going to see God, his mighty power. But this week, I want to ask you something. Um, Where are you at right now? when it comes to your, to your life and when it comes to your heart right now, when it comes to God? Where are you right, na- right now in this room? Are you on a mountaintop with God, praising and worshiping him? Or are you kind of like on your way down into the valley, just kind of in a, I don't know, or are you down at the valley? Are you down in that valley right now where you're somewhere on that spectrum And so the question I want you to ask you is, where's your heart right now? Who has or what has your heart right now? Is it your work? Is it a situation? Is there a Pharaoh in your life? Is there something promising you life that's not God? What is, what is the, uh, uh, has the core of who you are, your energies, your affections? Well, Jesus says that, There's uh, four types of hearts that we can have. In Mark 4, he talks about these hearts. And you're one of these today. I want to show them to you. It's the pathway, it's the rocky soil, it's the thorny soil, or it's the good soil. I want you to look at that, and I want you to determine which one one of these is your heart. I'll describe them to you. The pathway is a heart. It's Pharaoh's heart, basically. It's a heart that is totally against God. It is, it's like a, a sidewalk when you throw seed on it. There's no way that's gonna pen, that seed is going to penetrate that heart. You keep uh, resisting God. Uh, you're not only not believing, you're looking for reasons not to believe in God. Secondly, there's the rocky soil, and this is a, a soil that's, that's emotional. It's where you hear the word of God, you hear the good news. You don't count the cost, though, but you hear the good news, and you get excited about it, but then tribulation and persecution come, and you pull back. This is what happened to to Israel when they heard Moses' good news. That's where they are right now. Then there's the thorny soil, and this is the soil that's distracted. Um, It's weighed down by the cares of this world. It's it's tempted by the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things. And so it's choking the word in your life. Now, this is also a picture of Israel. We're going to see that once God delivers them, they're going to want to go back to Egypt, to where God had uh, removed them from slavery. But they're going to want things of this world. They're going to want to walk by sight. Then there's the, the, third, the fourth soil, which is the good soil. This is a soil that's receptive. And this is the heart that the word has penetrated And it's gone deep. And the way it went deep was that you've held on to the truths of of God's word and will not let go. It's hard, it's difficult, but that root is going down deep in you and it's producing, it's 
coming up and it's, gonna, and it's producing fruit. Where are you at this morning in, in, in this? And I want to say that if you can identify yourself in this, if you're not in the good soil, but you can identify yourself in this, there's good news for you. There's good news for you. All of us can be good soil. Because the message um, that I'm preaching to you this morning is the same message that Moses preached back in the day. I'm preaching, you, I'm preaching to you some good news. I'm preaching to you some good news, but it's more than what Moses knew. Moses preached that God sees you, that he hears you, that he knows you, and he cares for you. And we get to preach, and he proved it by coming down to us in Christ Jesus. Now, you may be looking up here going, you know, God, how could God love me? I'm so sinful. I'm nasty. You don't know what I've done. Well, you don't know what I've done. Praise God. And you're not going to. But I will tell you this, you've not done anything worse than me. I promise you, you've not outsinned me. And yet, God's mercy has, been, has come to me, and I have been forgiven of all my sin. I've been forgiven of, of uh, 50-some years of it, and yesterday, and even today when I have sinned. And I'm going to be forgiven tomorrow. Why? Because God sees, he hears, he knows, he cares, and he came down as the Son of God to fulfill the promise that he would deliver us. And everyone who comes to Jesus and puts their faith in him and cries out to him, Lord, I want you. I want you to forgive me. I want you to be my Lord, my Savior, my God. I want to follow you. I want you to help me to follow you. Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus is forgiven of their sins and begins to walk in newness of life. That is the good news. So wherever you are, if you will cling to that message, maybe you're like, God, I don't know if you exist. Here's what I want to encourage you. He knows that. So tell him, pour out your heart to him. Maybe you're, you are a believer, but you're like, I don't like this. I, I, I can't stand this. And, and I'm like, pour out your heart to him. You're like, I already have. Do it again. Keep pouring out your heart to him. He's not going to get tired of that. He loves it when we come to him. But do it in faith, knowing that he sees, that he hears, he knows, he cares, and he delivers. Amen.